Going Linux, episode 253, Computer America, number 76. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, Computer America. Broadcasting live, it's America's longest-running national radio talk show on computers, Computer America, hosted by national columnist Craig Crossman. Look for Craig's weekly column in your favorite newspaper. This show is being beamed nationwide at ComputerAmerica.com. Keep it here for technology news, computer products, guest interviews, and your phone calls. You're listening to Computer America. Hello and welcome into the Computer America show. It's the nation's longest-running, nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers. Computer America is heard around the world and coast-to-coast. And I'm your host, Craig Crossman. And I'm your co-host, Ben. And it is is the third Thursday of the month, and it is our all-Linux show. That's right. Everything you want to know about Linux and more, um, this is the program to be listening to. Uh, If you have any questions about Linux, uh, hopefully either myself or our guest, more than likely, <laughs> is going to have the answer for you or at least put you on the right track. Uh, and uh, now, um, the way we're going to do this is, uh, let me just bring him on and then I'll, I'll give you the phone numbers and everything to call. So, uh, uh, as I said, uh, uh, he is, uh, he, his name is Larry Bushy. He's our Linux expert. He's also our, our computer record correspondent. He's the creator and host of the Going Linux podcast. Larry, welcome to Computer America. How are you? Uh, excited as always to uh, discuss the wonderful topic that I've chosen for our show. Yes, Linux. <laughs> now, as I said, if you have a question, comment, or suggestion uh, about Linux uh, for us or for Larry, uh, we welcome you to give us a call. We have open phone lines three four seven eight eight four eight 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 one. We'll get you on and get you through. That's three four seven area code eight eight four eight 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 one. That's the number to call. You can also send us an email if you like. You know, if you're a little radio shy, you don't want to go on the air, but you have a question for our guest, you can send us an email to live, L-I-V-E, at computeramerica.com. You can also interact with us in our live interactive IRC chat room. Just go to our homepage at computeramerica.com, and you'll see there's a nice big blue button there. It says chat room slash live video. Just click that, and it'll take you to our combo page, which has both our chat room and live video. It'll... It'll, it'll say connect to free node IRC, and there's a, it'll ask you for a nickname. That's the name you'll be known by when you go into the chat room. Um, there's a, uh, a captcha uh, uh, number or word there. You have to put that in so basically uh, it'll identify you. And once you do that, click the connect button, and your browser will move you right into our Computer America chat room. It's just that simple, uh, really easy to do. And you don't need Java anymore. Uh, we, it, is, it, it works with your Internet browser. However, if you want a little fancier formatting, uh, you can load, uh, download one of several different um, uh, plugins for your browser. Uh, I use Chatzilla. Uh, what is the one that you said that you use, uh, Larry? Uh, uh, HexChat. HexChat, yes. That's right, HexChat. Yeah. There are a number of them out there. 
And what that'll do is it's kind of it formats the chat room uh, to be a little bit more visually uh, pleasing. You can make a, a separate window for it. You you can see the people participating in the chat room in its own separate window with little, with the little different colored avatars signifying. Maybe maybe if someone else knows the answer to this and, and I just can't find it. Google Chrome has a surprising lack of, uh, you know, skins mm-hmm. for the IRC chat. Well, it's just not really a skin. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's not on skin. It's a, it's an actual plug-in, the IRC. Well, yeah, no, like plug-in, then it changes the look of it. And, right, exactly. You know, yeah. I'm the plug-in can't change. call that skin, but, you know, uh, Google Chrome lacks a proper plug-in. Like, the highest rated and most popular didn't work for me, like, at all. Really? Uh, well, that might be a motivation for you to go to Firefox. You know, you, oh. can, you can run more than one chat room at a time, and uh, I would suggest yeah. going to Fire. You know, I mean, you can continue to run your Chrome, but run Firefox and let download the Chatzilla client because that's the one that's going to work for you on uh, Firefox, and uh, and then you can make a separate window. It's really very nice, and uh, we we highly recommend uh, that you do that. Uh, you can then you, you have commands that are available in your, on your mouse. You don't have to type in the slash command. It'll actually give you different commands that you can use from your mouse. It's, and it just formats it very nicely. Uh, you, it's, it's just a really nice uh, setup. So, you know, we recommend that you do that. But please join us in our Internet Relay chat room, IRC chat room at uh, ComputerAmerica.com. And the other thing on our chat room that you will see is our live Computer America video streaming page, okay, which it shares the chat room. Uh, so you can actually watch the Computer America show. You can actually see myself. You can see Ben. You can see Larry. Uh, you can see all of our, you know, whoever's participating on the show uh, as a guest, uh, are all here, and you can watch the live Computer America video stream. So I think uh, we're getting ready now. Here's the thing that I, well, every month I ask Larry, look, uh, you know, we're going to get callers, what have you, but we always ask Larry to pick a topic for the show. Now you can follow along with us because if you go to our show notes page at ComputerAmerica.com, go to our show notes page. And you, it'll say click here to read the show notes. You'll see today's show, which is August 21st, and you'll see the Going Linux podcast, the paragraph, tonight's topic, everything is there. And then underneath that, you'll see two links. One says show notes, and the other one says emails. If you click on either one of those, you're going to, it'll open up a Google Docs document, and you can actually follow along, uh, along with us. Uh, and not only that, it's not only has the uh, topics, but also if there are uh, tables or links to the things that we're going to be talking about, all the links are there as well. So you can just kind of follow along. If you see something that interests you, just click on the link. It's all there. So the topic for tonight is the, the most Googled questions about Linux and some answers. That's it. The most Googled questions about Linux and some answers to them. So... That's the topic for tonight, and um, and the answers might even be the answers to the questions that are Googled about Linux, <laughs> or they might be just random answers that I picked off the internet, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, let's get started. Uh, what are some of the most Google questions asked about Linux? Well, let let me explain uh, how I got started with this whole idea. Mm-hmm. So. You know how when you have Google search engine, just mm-hmm. google.com, you mm-hmm. just go there, and you start typing in the little box where you put your query in, it comes up with some suggestions. Well, I noticed that quite a few people on the Internet have been 
uh, talking about uh, when you start to type a phrase, what does Google think you're going to type as the next part of it? So uh, I decided to try doing that with uh, some popular phrases uh, around Linux. Uh, and of course, I thought, okay, well, let's take a look at the ones around Mac and Windows as well. And mm -hmm. the Mac ones were kind of predictable. But the Windows ones, um, just as, as a taste, I, I typed in, why is Windows 8? And then looked at the, the, the four suggestions that Google gave. So those ones were, why is Windows 8 bad? Mm -hmm. Why is Windows 8 so slow? <laughs> why is Windows 8 so bad? Why is Windows 8 so hard to use. And I thought, ooh, <laughs> that's kind of a sad commentary on Windows these days. Uh -huh. I wonder how bad it is for Linux. So <laughs> I decided to try a few of the searches. Uh -huh. um, in, in the same vein, I varied it a little bit, and I tried four different prefixes to the question. So I, I tried the one that was similar to what I tried for Windows, and the first one was, why is Linux? Then I tried can Linux, and then does Linux, <laughs> and will. So looking at past, present, and future, let's see what uh, what what Google has to say. Or, yeah. and from what I understand, these are the most popular queries uh, that are being typed into Google at any particular time. So uh, you know, if if you were to try this next month, the actual responses you get or the suggestions you get might be different if a different question is being typed in more frequently. But mm -hmm. this is what they were when I typed them in. So okay. let's take a look at uh, Google's first four query responses or suggestions to when I typed, why is Linux? So first one came back as, why is Linux better? Well, this is already better than the Windows responses, right? So um, in answer to that question, um, you might think that uh, the most popular versions of Linux available today can be described in a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, Linux is a modern operating system okay. with an attractive user interface. Now, what do you think? When you say a modern X, we're talking that actually means something more than just uh, date-wise. Uh, uh, yeah. um, there are certain characteristics of to, a mod, to a modern operating system that that are required. For example, uh, um, when it has like protected memory and uh, things of that nature. So, uh, so if, if an application crashes, it doesn't bring the whole operating system down. That type of thing. Right. Exactly. So, and, and Linux has been designed to handle that exact thing. And technically, uh, Linux is a modern operating system. So from a technical perspective, it's a modern, uh, modern operating system. Mm -hmm. um, Design-wise, it's a modern operating system. So it's designed for multiple users. Uh, it, it's always been designed for multiple users. It, it came out of Unix, which was designed as a multi-user yep. operating system. So it, it meets that criteria as well. But also in terms of its user interface, it's a modern operating system. Uh, it has accelerated graphics. It has uh, a lot of uh, 
attractive 3D uh, whiz-bang features to it, as whiz well bang. as having uh, yeah, whiz-bang. I love those technical yeah. terms that they, they, they use. It, it is, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry for getting too technical here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's, it's attractive. Um, and you can get all kinds of different versions of Linux with different desktop environments and different levels of attractiveness, if you will. Uh, and you can pick one that's the most attractive to you. I guess it's kind of like dating. But uh, <laughs> um, And another thing that makes Linux better is its update manager keeps the operating system up to date, but not just the operating system with patches and security uh, fixes and that sort of thing, but all of the applications that you've installed are updated as well and kept up to the current release. So it's better from that perspective. Um, it's, It's more secure. It is better supported than other operating systems that come pre installed on most home computer hardware today, not mentioning any Windows operating system by name. Um, Using Linux also provides you with the freedom to run a complete full-featured operating system pre-configured with most, if not all, of the applications you'd be needing to use on a uh, a day-to-day basis. Uh, Or if you don't like a particular application, you don't like HexChat, for example, you can install Chatzilla or another chat client. Uh, and you can change everything about it from the way it looks to the way it works or which applications it runs. So you can change it all up to suit your taste. So it's better than other operating systems from that perspective as well. There, There is much more variety as to what you can install. Uh, and uh, all of the uh, applications that you would install, for, well, I shouldn't say all. For the most part, the applications that you install are available from the Linux software repositories that are available from your Linux distribution, and most of them are available for free as well. Um, you can also run Linux on almost any hardware, from the prettiest MacBook to the cheapest netbook, and from the newest Chromebook to some very old machines designed for Windows, and from the most powerful Internet servers to the smallest smart thermostat run Linux as well. And we've taken a look at some of the weirdest places you can find Linux, and we have links to that in the show notes as well. So those are that's my answer to why Linux is better. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've talked about most, uh, most of this stuff on uh, these uh, uh, Linux shows, shows sure. on Computer yeah. America before, but yeah. it's always good to review, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay. All right. So, uh, um, so uh, now, so these are these. This this came up as you say. You just type it into the uh, Google uh, search box, right. and mm-hmm. you, I just typed in you didn't why click, is Linux, and it came up with the word gosh. setting as the first suggestion. You didn't click that. The uh, uh, I feel lucky. <laughs> the button. <Nope. laughs> okay. Wait, <laughs> you uh, populate. Yeah. Click. Um. Did you use a new browser for this? I used Chrome. Like, like, was it the Chrome that you normally use and things like that? Because I know that depending on your past searches, Google will recommend things that are better matching to your searches. Uh, maybe so. What do you want to type in? Why is Linux? Okay, well, let me try that. Why is Linux? Ah, check that out. 
why is Linux better, better than Windows, more secure, free, faster than Windows? There you go. There you okay. go. So it does have a couple more uh, suggestions or different suggestions than the ones that I typed in last week when I did this, and uh, we can answer that other one faster than Windows as well if you want. <laughs> so uh, why is Linux more secure? That was one of the ones that came up in your search, Ben. So that's one of the ones that came up on my search as well. And so Linux is more secure uh, for the following reasons, and there are quite a few. First. Linux users are not administrators by default. Uh, and I know that it has become the standard for most operating systems these days, but it wasn't always the case with Windows. Uh, and so Windows was well known for not being all that secure. And because of that, a lot of folks had the opportunity to write viruses and so on for Windows. And so that has continued on. Windows has gotten a little more secure over time, still a very big target of attack. Uh, and so the fact that uh, Linux also is uh, not immune to viruses, uh, this is one of the queries and suggestions that I'll be answering a little bit further uh, in the show. But uh, it uh, typically doesn't get the kind of uh, attention from malware writers that Windows does. Um, so getting back to the fact that Linux users are not admins by default, admins or administrators, also known as root access uh, on an operating system, um, if you have root access or administrator access, it lets you do anything you want on your operating system, including damaging the system by typing in commands or otherwise. So even if Linux is compromised, the fact that you aren't by default running uh, by a uh, running administrator, if an intruder gets into your system, they can't do much damage. The damage is, is limited in its scope, typically to the user's local files. Uh, and that's because the infection is running as you uh, in your computer. And if you're not an administrator, you can't, uh, you're, you're limited as to how much damage you can actually do. You can you can damage all the files you created, but you can't damage the system files by default. Okay. So uh, when you click on a file as well, here's another area of security. Uh, when you click on a file in some other operating systems that shall go nameless, the mm -hmm. system looks at the file extension, like JPEG or .exe or .pdf, to determine which program the operating should use to open the file. Mm -hmm. Linux, on the other hand, opens the file for what it is, not what the file extension says. So let's say you've received a file that ends in .jpg or .pdf. Mm -hmm. uh, if the file is actually a virus installer program and not a picture or a document file, as the file extension would indicate, then when you open the file in Linux, Linux will know that it's an installer program. It will tell you that you're about to run a program and ask if you want to proceed. It will also prompt you for your password if you say you want to proceed. So remember, if you do say that you want to proceed and you enter your password and you click OK at that point, then you've just invited an infection into your system and it's all on you, fella. <laughs> so, 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 so it's not just a, are you sure? It's, are you sure? And then, are you really sure? And it's like, seriously, 
Are you I really sure? Sure. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, you, you know, it's, inter- it's interesting because I know on the Mac, for example, uh, I would find that um, how should I say? You know, it's one more thing that I have to do, uh, and and Apple gets around it by because Apple the uh, Mac OS ten knows the file that you have or you're about to open was downloaded from the internet, yeah. and so it comes up and says. You know, you just downloaded this file from the internet. Are you sure you want to open it? And then you go, you go click it. So it will give you that warning before, so you can go, oh no, I didn't mean to do that, and 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 use it to do. It. But uh, but it's uh, so uh, now. Uh, is that is that similar from what you know have on Linux, or can you configure Linux to do that, or um, I mean, how, how does that compare? Well, sure, you can do anything you want on Linux, including <laughs> bypassing all of that security if you want. Uh-huh. Uh, not that I would recommend you do that. But there are there are two areas where Linux uh, treats installations of files differently. Mm-hmm. So one is installation of files from the package manager or from the repositories. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go into the package manager and say, I want to install uh, Firefox, for example, it will install it. It will ask for your password once, and it will just go ahead and install it because it knows it came from the repositories. It knows that it's those uh, the fi- the programs in that repository have already been vetted. So it's mm-hmm. only going to ask you once. Now, because it's installing software, it's going to ask you for your password to make sure that it's you and to elevate your privileges to administrator because you can only install software if you're an administrator. That's why I asked for the password. Now, if you uh, download something off the Internet, on the other hand, and it looks like a picture file, like it ends in .jpg, but it's actually an installer, uh, Windows the operating system that shall remain nameless, um, it uh, it will it. say, oh, this is a, a JPEG file. I should open it in whatever Windows Picture Viewer is. I don't even know what it is these days. Uh, and, and Because it's looking at the file extension. Well, uh, Linux doesn't look at the file extension uh, to determine what program to open it. Uh, it'll say, oh, this is an executable program. And that means you want to run it as a program. And if it's an installer, you want to install the software. And that's why uh, it, it goes through this multi-warning uh, system, if, if you will, because it says, are you sure you want to run this program, uh, even though it ends in .jpg or .pdf or something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it will, if you say, yes, I do, it's going to ask you for your password because you need to be an administrator to install something. Mm-hmm. But then if you click OK, you're done. It, it goes and installs it. Now, if it's a, a Windows virus that you've just said could execute, so uh, a virus that's designed to attack Windows, one of two things will happen. Either the installation will fail mm-hmm. or it won't be able to infect anything other than programs you're running using Wine. And Wine is an environment uh, that allows you to run Windows programs inside of Linux. And if you've got that program installed, that environment installed, the virus can infect that in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases it can. And so it might infect that. Uh, to disinfect it, you simply uninstall Wine and all of the associated packages and reinstall it, and you're back without the infection. Unlike if you were actually running Windows, you'd probably spend a few hundred dollars getting it removed if it wasn't one of those that you're mm. antivirus software that you spent a few hundred dollars for. Uh, checks and fines and, and prevents from running. 
So that's why Linux is more secure for all of those reasons. Yeah, and that's, a, that's quite a number of them. Very, yep. very good. Yeah, okay. Um, I, go ahead. Yeah, so the next one uh, was why is Linux free? Well, although you can find some versions or distributions of Linux that will allow you to pay money for them, that you can purchase, the vast majority are provided for free and free of charge. And, and Linux is licensed in a way that allows anyone to give the operating system away for free, no strings attached. Uh, the license that it's licensed under uh, gives any member of the Linux community, uh, Linux user community, the freedom to use Linux for any purpose they want, uh, to distribute it to anyone they want, to modify the operating system, to redistribute it, even sell it with the modifications that you've made. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you do modify the software, then redistribute it, then you're required by the Linux license to submit your modifications back to the original distributor for inclusion into future versions. Now, of course, there's no guarantee that that will ever happen, especially if the modifications you made were very bad. But <laughs> if you've made Linux better in any way through your modifications, then your changes might just be included in the next release of the distribution you chose in the first place. So um, that's the primary reason why Linux is free of charge is because of the way that it's licensed. Um, now, by doing that, this is how Linux can continually improve and grow over time uh, without having to charge money for its users. Many of the users of Linux are corporations that use the operating system to run their business, or they can include it in the products like Google Android phones or Chromebooks or Samsung televisions. Uh, each of those include a version of Linux in them. Uh, many of the Samsung televisions do, especially the modern ones. Um, and if you want to know some more information about where you can find Linux, we've got show notes and a link in the show notes to the episode where we discuss the, audit play, the oddest places you'll find Linux. Um, and many of those corporations that use Linux are incorporated into their software, into their products, uh, provide fixes and new features for Linux as they're using it for their business. Uh, and because of the licensing, they're required to provide that back to the distributor of Linux or the developer of Linux. Um, and these um, improvements um, end up back in the Linux distribution that they started with, and then um, if, if they're good and if they're applicable generally. And so then if they end up in one distribution, because it's all one big community, it's likely that they'll end up in other distributions as well. So whether you're a home user of Linux, a Linux software or Linux application developer, or an employee of a company that uses Linux, you're a member of that Linux user community one way or another. And so uh, you can uh, get Linux for free because yeah. It's it, they don't charge for it, and that's one that's one of the nice nice uh, things about Linux is that it's a free operating system. Um, now there are of course some there are many many distributions out there, and some distributions mm -hmm. will charge you, uh, but they're really not charging you for the Linux. Uh, they're really charging you for um, support because right. if you need help, you actually have a phone number that you can call and uh, and and ask for help rather than yeah. going to a public forum. Uh, and some people like that 
having that uh, little extra security blanket. And, of course, if you're a business using Linux, I would think that um, then you really you know, want to have uh, something like that going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, a lot of uh, businesses will use Linux for their um, servers, uh, for their um, uh, internal network servers. And uh, many companies run Red Hat Linux, and Red Hat is probably the the most popular, one of the most popular for sure for, for businesses. And um, there is a community version called CentOS where there is no support, but if you get Red Hat, you can purchase support from Red Hat, and uh, uh, they'll provide it for you. That's right. All right, listen, we're at the bottom of the hour break. You'll listen to the Computer America Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network, on the Boost Radio Network, on the IRN Radio Network. It's our all-Linux show tonight with Larry Bushy. We're going to break. We have a News Test Bulletin review coming up. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Marty Winston for Computer America with a News Tips Bulletin review of the Ventev R2240 Dashport 2 by 2.4 amp lighter plug USB adapters. Now, we used to call it a lighter plug. It's now called a 12-volt accessory socket. And not many 12-volt adapters that we've tried provide enough juice to power and charge a pair of tablets. So we were thrilled when the Ventev Dashport R2240 Dual Output Universal Charger arrived. It's long and slender, with one USB power port at its tail, another on its side, each rated at 2.4 amps, so that's 4.8 amps total. Its length and shape, long and skinny, may collide with the ship selector in some cars, so do check that out before deploying one. We especially like it as a way to feed a pair of power-hungry, high-capacity power pucks in the car making for a lot of utility and longevity without eating up the whole center console. Bottom line, the Ventev Dashport R2240 Dual Output Universal Charger delivers more current than most other current alternatives. This is Marty Winston at the News Tips Bulletin for Computer America. Welcome back to the Computer America Show. That was uh, Mari Winston with the uh, News Tip Bulletin Review. Uh, we have two of those, two new ones every week. And that was the first one. We'll have a second one in the second hour. But in between all of the News uh, Tip Bulletins, we have a show that we like to do. And uh, tonight's show, all about Linux and Larry Bushy. And, uh, you know, we were just getting to the part of the show notes, which, uh, you know, uh, Craig, I assume earlier you mentioned everything about the show notes. You know, if you want to read along and all that good stuff. Yes, exactly. It is in the show notes, and uh, you, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Now, so. if you're, you know, if you're listening to this in the future, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. post three weeks, eh, you know, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, I believe we were, we were still on uh, Linux is free, but not always free. You know, it, it's free until you need it not to be free. Yeah, right, right. If you want to pay for support, you can pay for support. And, uh, of course, if you want support, you don't have to pay for it. There are plenty of uh, chat rooms and, and uh, podcasts like the Going Linux podcast and, and uh, our support that we provide here on uh, Computer America. So uh, lots of that good stuff. And I think we're pretty much done with that particular topic. Okay. Uh, so the fourth thing that came up when I typed, why is Linux this is into Google? 
people is <laughs> better than Windows. And uh, so just rewind if you're listening to this in the future. Oh. Just rewind and re-listen to the last three answers to the questions. Mm-hmm. All of that is right. it's better than Windows. <laughs> and that's all you're going to say on that topic? That's it. <laughs> everything we did, we just talked about everything we needed to say about it. That's, it's, a, it's, that's, a, little, that's a little Forrest Gumpish, isn't it? And that's all I have to say about that? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Having said this about that, uh-huh. I just said it. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. There, there was the one that I found, which is why is Linux faster than Windows? Right. Well, uh, still one. You will find sometimes that when you um, install Linux to replace uh, an operating system like Windows that's been on your computer for a while, uh, and people are doing this now with Windows XP because Windows XP support has come to end of life. And so they're looking for ways to keep that perfectly good computer still running and still uh, functional but supported. And one way to do that is to install Linux on there. And when they do that, they find, wow, what a performance improvement. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because over time, uh, Windows builds up cruft. Uh, it really just... Uh, the stuff goes into the uh, registry that uh, relates to software that you installed at one time and then uninstalled, uh, and maybe there's an antivirus software running on your Windows computer and you don't have one running on your Linux computer because you really don't feel like you need one. Uh, that will slow down Windows as well. The other thing is um, some Linux distributions, uh, especially those that use a very lightweight window manager. Now, for somebody who's used Windows or, or OS X, a window manager may be a foreign term. Uh, Windows comes with the Windows window manager. Um, Mac comes with a window manager. I forget the name of it right now, but it is part of the OS X operating system. And in each case there, you've got one choice. With Linux, you have multiple choices. So you can have one that uses 3D acceleration, that has wonderful uh, graphics that show um, drop shadows and allow you to have animated windows and that sort of stuff. But all of those special effects take processing power and in turn slow down potentially your computer. And so if you use a lightweight window manager, uh, some examples of the names of those would be Mate or Mate, M-A-T-E, or XFCE, um, those don't have the same sort of 3D compositing uh, and special effects. And as a result, they are less uh, uh, heavy on your processor and your uh, your computer's processor and the graphics processor and on the RAM that it uses to run your computer. So it will run faster if you use a lighter weight window manager. So those are the reasons why Linux may seem faster or actually be faster in your case than uh, Windows on the same machine. Okay. All right. All right. right. So now uh, answer the first four queries when you enter CAN Linux into Google, right? Yeah, so CAN Linux. So the first one I got was CAN Linux read NTFS. Oh, I thought it was was Linux in a CAN, you know, CAN Linux. Yeah, CAN Linux. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not what Google thought we meant. All right. right. Um, So NTFS is a file format for Windows. 
Uh, it is the file format that Windows has used since Windows NT, mm-hmm. and they've used it on Windows uh, Vista, and they've used it on Windows 7, and uh, and so on and so on. It's the modern file format for Windows. So the the question really is, if if I have a hard drive where I've stored files when I was using Windows, and I formatted it in NTFS, am I going to be able to read the files on that uh, disk? And the answer is yes. Most Linux distributions actually come with the, that capability pre-installed. Uh, and so uh, it will do that out of the box in most cases. And if your particular distribution doesn't come with the ability to read NTFS files uh, out of the box, you just go into the repositories of the package manager and install a package called NTFS-3G. I don't know what the 3G stands for, but that's the package you need. And it's a little utility that allows Linux to read and write to an NTFS formatted hard drive. And that's it. That's all you need. And it installs in seconds. So if it's not already pre-installed in your Linux, go to the package manager, install it, and you'll be able to read and write to your NTFS uh, hard drives within seconds. Okay. Okay. All right. So the next one came up, can Linux run Windows games? And the answer is yes. And no, I love that. <laughs> so I'm I'm hedging my bets here. So uh, are you, games, are you racked? Yeah. By, are you racked by indecision? Well, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, but Windows games don't run natively under Linux. Well, let's face it; they're designed to run under Windows. So, but however, there are a wide variety of games and other software that's commonly run on Windows that have versions that also run on Linux. So it's not the Windows program running on Linux, but it's the same game, or it's the same program, but it's just written for Linux. It's like Photoshop or something else that's written for Windows, and you run it on your Mac, or it's written for Mac, and you run it on Windows. They're not the same program. You can't install the the OS X package on a Windows machine and expect it to run, but it's Photoshop, okay? Uh, same thing with Linux. So um, many of the games will run cross-platform, as they call it, between Windows and Mac and Linux. There is a version for that. And browsers are an example that's a little more practical to think about. Uh, Firefox is available for Tim. It's available for Windows. And it's available for Linux as well. Mm. It's not the same program that runs on each of those platforms, but it is still Firefox, written for that operating system, and, and, Chrome, and, and other and, web browsers. And, that, and that's that's a good thing. And let people say, "Oh, it's not written for." No, you don't. You want it to be written for the operating system. That right. you, you don't want it to be written for another stuff because if it's written for another operating system, you have to be running some sort of a, uh, emulator, or and it's taking more processor power. Right. So you want it want to run natively. Sure, that's a good yes, thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, if you can't find the game that you want to run, uh, a version of it for Linux, or other software uh, that you want to run, that you've been running on another operating system, there are alternatives. So, uh, And those alternatives may be very similar to that game that, you're, that you want to play. Uh, but maybe it's just got a different packaging to it, or maybe it's uh, an older version of it, or maybe it's a newer version of it, just written a little bit differently. Uh, LibreOffice is an example of an application rather than a game that, that fits this category. So it's a, an example of a full-featured Office suite. It's pre-installed on most Linux distributions today uh, and is an alternative 
to Microsoft Office. So it has a word processor, a spreadsheet, a presentation maker, and some things that actually Microsoft Office doesn't offer as well. So it's not the same program at all. It's not designed to be the same program, but it's an alternative that performs the same function, and it even reads and saves to the Microsoft Office file format. Uh, and another alternative might be to run those Windows games or other applications on Linux using that program I mentioned earlier called Wine. So Wine allows many Windows games and applications like Photoshop or like uh, Microsoft Office to run in a Windows-like walled garden inside of Linux. Uh, and today many games and applications run in the cloud. And that means it doesn't matter whether you're using Linux, Chrome, OS X, or Windows, or any other operating system, as long as you have a browser and a connection to the internet, you can run whatever that program is. So lots of alternatives, uh, but the answer to the question, does or can Linux run Windows games, is yes and no, <laughs> depending on what you're talking about. Uh, well, I mean, if uh, if you, I mean, since you brought that topic, uh, mm -hmm. did you mention Steam has an entire section mention. just for? No, and uh, I thought you might mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Steam actually does. Yeah, it it has a uh, version of Steam that runs under Linux, and of course, because the games are running on the Steam platform, many of the games have been. Uh, made available for Linux just as they are available for uh, for Windows. So, and in fact, uh, the folks at Steam are reported to be building a Steam box, a dedicated Steam console, if you will, based on Linux. I, I heard so that I that seen that. Yet. I, I heard that that got put on the back burner or something. Then didn't we do a very well? Hit. Didn't we do a story on that uh, a while back that Steam basically was a yeah, I didn't want to break the news, but uh, <laughs> they're uh, like they're trying to. Steam is trying to co-make it with other computer-making companies, you know, just so they can, you know, split the cost or whatever. And every company they keep approaching keeps backing out at the last second, kind of, you know, leaving them dry. So unfortunately, it's on the back burner until another computer company picks it up. Hey guys, it's Steam. Try a company that doesn't make computers for Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. Okay, they may be influencing that decision after you've gone in there to try to negotiate the uh, agreement. Well, you, you you named a couple of computer companies on a past show of, that just make Linux computers. Uh, you named a couple right. of them, yeah. Like, yeah, so there's System76. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Is, is, is one that makes computers that are specifically provided for uh, Ubuntu Linux, but you can install any Linux you want on them. But they come with Ubuntu on them. And another one is VA Reason uh, or Zell Reason, uh, and uh, they come with whatever version of Linux you want. You ask them to install on it. Mm -hmm. uh, each of those companies uh, purchases their computers or builds their computers themselves. And if they purchase them, they purchase them typically from a Chinese manufacturer. And let's face it, most of the Windows computers these days are made in China anyway. Um, so, and then they configure them and install them, but they, they handpick the components if they're going to build it, or they handpick or, or have the company that, that builds the hardware build it to spec so that it is specifically designed to run Linux. And so, um, yeah, you, you could probably approach one of those companies, but they're, they're 
pretty busy filling the Linux orders. <laughs> they really are. But hey, there's a couple of suggestions right there. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. okay. Next up is can Linux read XFAT? Okay. So I, I had to I had to Google for XFAT. What is XFAT? I had no idea what that was. And what I found is it's a Microsoft proprietary patented file format that they use for flash drives. And it was introduced in the days of Windows CE. Uh, and it, uh, be, being proprietary and patented, nobody else uses it except uh, Microsoft. And according to our friends at Wikipedia, it was designed by Microsoft to get over the file size limitations and other limitations of FAT32 and NTFS when used on thumb drives and SD cards. So the answer to the question, can, read, uh, can Linux read files that are in uh, uh, flash drive using the XFAT file format? Yes, it can. Okay. So don't worry about that one. So file formats, easy peasy for Linux. <laughs> okay, next. Interesting. Can Linux get viruses? And the answer is yes, but it doesn't. <laughs> so there are some excellent antivirus software programs for Linux, and uh, we've got a link in the show notes uh, to them. Uh, whether or not you want to install an antivirus on your Linux computer is really up to you. In theory, Linux can get viruses and other infections just like any other operating system. But despite Linux Journal's link bait article, and we have a link to that, uh, where they uh, entitled it Linux Security Threats Rise, uh, in, in there they state that there's an increase in the threats for Linux because of the increase in the size of the code base of Linux and because of the ever-popular or ever-growing popularity of Linux. Um, I'm not sure that's... Uh, uh, a valid assumption to make, okay, is because Linux is growing and becoming more popular, there are going to be many more security threats. Mm. Um, there are a few out there. Uh, and if uh, there are a few, if any of those that are out there that actually persist in the wild. In reality, there's been at least one public uh, infection that infected Linux in the past 10 years. That one is no longer a threat to anybody installing it or using a modern Linux distribution. No. And so Linux is designed actually to be difficult for viruses, rootkits, and other malware to be installed without conscious intervention by the user, as we discussed earlier. Well, I need to ask you this question because I, I keep hearing it. This is because oh, there are very few viruses, you know, for the Mac, and the, and then the and the comeback you'll hear as well because there are not as many Macs and the, and the viruses aren't written because they can't infect the Mac. It's just because if you, uh, the virus writers want to get the most impact, and so they write for Windows because that's the 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 the, the larger you know number. Uh, and and uh, would you say that that applies to Linux that that there are less viruses written for Linux because it's an even smaller number you know that we're talking about, or is it just because Linux is Hard to write a virus for, or is it a combination? It's it's partially because of that. And if it's true for Mac, it's true for Windows. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's true for Linux. And it, it's true partially because they're both based on Unix. And Unix is designed as multi-user operating system. And because it's multi-user, it's got a lot of sandboxing built in. Mm -hmm. 
and as a result, uh, one user can get infected while another one can be completely infection-free. Uh, or And typically, it, it's very difficult to uh, infect any sort of operating system that's based on a Unix platform. So it's equally difficult to write viruses for Mac and for Linux. Um, now, so it's partially because um, Linux and OS X are less popular, that there aren't as many viruses written for it, mm -hmm. or people in in attempt mm -hmm. to write yeah. them. Uh, but it is also because it's more difficult to infect. Um, if you did succeed in infecting a machine, um, likelihood that you have root access to uh, extend that infection throughout the rest of the machine and to other machines is pretty low. Uh, and as a result, uh, the, these virus writers are trying to get their infection as wide as possible because they want to send out spam or they want to infect other computers to uh, lock their files down so that you have to pay a ransom to get back, get them back. And if your infection is, is sandboxed within the operating system, you just don't have the same payback as, as a virus writer or malware writer. So uh, that's, that's mainly the, the, the real reason there is because it's much more difficult and the pay payoff for the, the malware writer is, is, is much less. So we've got uh, uh, a link in the show notes as well for why Linux is more secure, and you might want to click on there and, and uh, read more in the details on that one. Okay. Right. We could go on and on and on with these. Mm -hmm. And I know we've got about 10 minutes before the top of the hour, and I know we're not going to get through the rest of all of these responses, so please do go to the show notes and read them. We'll get through as many as we can. Uh, but if you're interested in uh, the answers to does Linux and will Linux, uh, and we don't get to the one that you're interested in, just... Right, exactly. Okay, so... Let's go on to does Linux. So when I typed does Linux into Google, it did an interesting thing. It put words in between. Uh -huh. So it went, does Minecraft work on Linux? Well, we just talked about um, games on Linux, and yes and no. <laughs> but in the case of Minecraft, yes. The answer is yes. And we've got a link in the show notes to how to install Minecraft in Ubuntu, which is a version of Linux, and uh, any Debian-based or Ubuntu-based um, com uh, uh, computer will probably be able to follow those instructions word for word and get it installed. Now, if you've got a Red Hat derivative uh, or you're using Arch or some other derivative that's not based on, on Debian Linux, then you may have to modify it a little bit, but the answer to the question, does Minecraft work on Linux, is yes. Right. For those Minecraft folks out there, good. You get, and we got instructions for you. Mm -hmm. Links in the show. Right. Next was, does iTunes work on Linux? I was surprised at the answer. This. I, I, already, I had actually already known it, but yeah, it still surprises yeah. me. Mm -hmm. Well, the answer is no. And uh, that's because Apple has specifically designed iTunes not to run on Linux. They went out of their way to do it, in other words. They, they yes, yeah. exactly. And so you could run an older version of iTunes uh, under Wine, but it would immediately try to update itself and probably wouldn't function properly with, with uh, Apple servers. 
And as a result, if you did the upgrade within the wine environment, the new versions don't run because Apple goes in and puts uh, breaks the compatibility with its ability to run under wine, even though Windows versions of iTunes. So although uh, Mac OS X has its roots in the same Unix operating system as Linux, OS X is not the same as Linux, and applications written for Apple's operating system don't automatically run on Linux. So um, there are plenty of alternative media players, though, oh, okay. that will run uh, on Linux, that are designed for Linux, that will play music, create playlists, sync with mobile devices, but if, even manage play and play podcasts. But can you run, like, Wine or something and, and have it work with uh, on Linux then? Um not really, because the you could get an older version of iTunes to work, but it's no, not sir. going to work. With they're going out of their they're going out of their way to make sure that it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So use Amarok or Banshee or or some other uh, Clementine or mm-hmm. the uh, um, uh, media players that are designed for Linux. Those are the best choices, and chances are the distribution you choose already has one that will do everything you want it to do. Manage your playlists, play podcasts, but will download podcasts but with your phone. It will it will it will uh, you can sync with the with the uh, iPhone and everything it will work. Sure. Okay. Sure. Right. Yep, I've I've uh used it to sync with an iPhone, with an Android phone, uh with a Blackberry, uh in the old days, so it all works. Okay. Okay, good. Next, mm-hmm. does Netflix work on Linux? <laughs> this better be a yes. <laughs> yes, it is a yes. And, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that it didn't. Uh, and it doesn't work out of the box, but there are some instructions in the show notes on how to watch Netflix on Ubuntu. That's my phone. It'll stop in a second. <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, we'll, we'll include that in the show notes. It's too uh, lengthy to go into but essentially what you need is Netflix on Ubuntu or a Debian derivative mm. uh, and it uses HTML5 and the Chrome browser and if you've got those things you can make it work right. no problem okay okay so here we go Ben this one's for you does <laughs> work on Linux the answer is yes and there's a recent update we've got a link to the recent update the new Steam client um, uh, an update from Steam on the latest news. So it may not be breaking news, but it's the latest news. <laughs> so we'll have a link in there to the show notes, unless you have a comment to make, Ben. No, just, you know, Steam has long been, uh, Gabe Newell has actually been a longtime supporter of Linux, and he loves open source. So, I mean, you know, if if video games are the one weakness of Steam, yeah. Then you know, give it a year or two, and it will no longer be a weakness. Yeah. You know, here's what I, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, we're gonna there there is one more uh, with uh, which we from for this, and I think we, I want to do them. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll do them and after we'll, the break, and, uh, after, and we'll do them after the break. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and then we'll continue yeah, on. Uh, you listen to the Computer America Show on the uh, the the Blog Talk Radio Network, on the Boost Radio Network, and on the IRN Radio Network. Uh, and again, uh, if you uh, just to quickly cover a couple quick things here, uh, go to computeramerica.com and uh, go to our contest page. It's under the first pull-down menu. You'll see that we have uh, tomorrow. We're going to have our show reminder winner of the week, and that some lucky person is going to win a a, a T60 
650 rechargeable glass touchpad. We give away one of those every single Friday. And the way you do that is you subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Show Reminder. You put, you just click on the, uh, on, on the contest page. You put your first and last name and your email address. Click the blue submit button. It'll send you a confirmation email to which you must reply. We want to make sure that it's you who wants to be on the show reminder list, and then you're in. The show reminder is the only publication in the universe that tells you who's going to be on the Computer America show for the entire week. Okay, so it's really useful. We have interesting links and things on it. And again, it's completely free. It's completely confidential. And from that list of subscriber names, every Friday we draw a winning name uh, to win a really nice prize at that T650 uh, touchpad from Logitech. And also, while you're there, Enter in our Logitech contest. That we, we this is the last um, uh, six weeks where we're giving away these prizes. We're going to have a, a refresh of the prizes next six weeks. So there's some really great ones there. Just follow the instructions. Enter in all of our contests at the contest page at computeramerica.com. Uh, it's all private. It's all confidential. Uh, they're all free. You know, you'll have a lot of fun playing and entering. And you know, who knows? You might win something really nice. Okay, we have another hour of the Computer America Show coming at you. Larry Bushy, our correspondent, Linux correspondent from the Going Linux podcast. We're going to just break for a few moments, and then we'll continue on with more Linux here on the Computer America Show. You're listening to Computer America. Computers run the world, and we run computers. Call us or send us an email to live at ComputerAmerica.com. Hello and welcome into Hour 2 of the nation's longest-running, nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers. This is the Computer America Show, and I'm your host, Craig Crossman. And I'm your co-host, Ben. And uh, we're continuing on here with, uh, with Larry Bushy. <laughs> ben, you look different. You, you have spots now. <laughs> and, you're, and, you're way more, and you're way more fuzzy than I remember you. <laughs> yeah, I I I do well. And you have this silly little grin on your face. <laughs> and you look really, really tired. <laughs> These things do happen. Yeah. So where were we? Uh we're doing our all Linux show with Larry Bushy and um normally we go into the emails, but I mean this is really interesting. Um uh this uh basically the most Googled questions about Linux and some answers and I thought we have one more section uh, to do, and I thought let's let's do those. Let's include it and get it in there uh, into the the last section. So we're going to do that, and then we'll go to our, the uh, the email that Larry gets uh, sent to him every month. Uh, and again, you can follow along. Just go to our show notes page at computeramerica.com. You're going to see the show notes uh, on today's show, the A21st listing, and there's a link that says uh, show notes, and that's what we're talking about now. And then after that, you click the email link, and you can see all the emails we're going to be discussing as well. Um, it just makes it easier to follow along. Of course, you can also watch us on our live Computer America video streaming page. So the last answers to the uh, uh, for the queries when you enter it in as will Linux, correct? Yeah. So we're looking into the future now. So mm-hmm. will Linux? First response that uh, Google suggests is will Linux overtake Windows? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, well, it already has. Really. Yes. <clears throat> so maybe not on the desktop <laughs> or in all countries, but Linux is, however, reported to uh, to be running 60% of the servers in the world, 7% of the web servers in the world, and 95% of supercomputers. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it may not be the most popular on the desktop because it doesn't come pre-installed, 
on most computers, well, I, I, but I, I it can certainly un- runs most computers in the world. I can understand that on supercomputers because you know they're 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 <laughs> they're tr- they're they're trying to get every you know flop that they can get you know and and so obviously Windows is uh, got a lot of overhead that they don't need, so they're yeah. trying to find a lean mean operating system for these computers because they're, they're trying to get the you know they're trying to get into the petaflops you know right on their teraflops they're trying to get the uh, the petaflops which is a floating uh, point operation uh so and uh, so i could see that makes a perfect sense uh linux playing on supercomputers yeah so and that's just talking about the traditional computer hardware the linux based android mobile uh device operating system mm-hmm is on the vast majority of smartphones and tablets that are in use today. Mm. Uh, on the computer desktop, it's difficult to quantify what percentage of computers run Linux because Linux is free. And so there's no financial motive for anyone to track sales, if you will, like there is with other operating systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also difficult to compare the numbers of Linux installations with other operating systems because Linux can be installed simultaneously on the same computer as those other operating systems. So these dual and triple boot systems are likely counted only once as a sale for the operating system that came pre-installed in the hardware, and they never get added to the statistics for Linux, even though that same computer may be running one, two, three, or more distributions of Linux in a multi-boot scenario. So... Lots of uh, lots of things going on, um, mm-hmm. and and many of them are uh, computers running Linux. Even if the computer is one that you sit in your hip pocket and you make phone calls on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the next suggested response or uh, suggested query from Google when I typed in "Will Linux" was "Will re- Linux run on a Mac?" And the simple answer is yes. Uh, the mm-hmm. Apple Mac computer, unlike many cheap Windows computers, uh, you oh. use some <laughs> very high-end hardware components from very selected manufacturers. He's not, say, result, he's not saying all Windows computers are cheap, Ben. Some of them mm-hmm. are really nice and expensive. Yes, yeah. some of them are quite nice. Yes, but okay. take any <laughs> netbook and put it next to a okay. uh, book Air and tell me which is better. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm not expecting to come into the Linux show and be, and be mad when Linux is, you know, backtalks you know, other users. That, that, that's not the time nor the place. No, I'm just saying it like it is. Okay. <laughs> so uh, because – let's just get back to the topic here. Mm-hmm. Because um, Apple computers uh, have a very selected number of manufacturers that they work with. And typically, they use high-quality high, high quality components. Let's just put it that way. Let's not compare them to those cheap Windows computers. Um, because they, they do that, uh, Linux support for Apple hardware is pretty easy to accomplish. And in the past, Apple's method of booting their machines, that's using EFI instead of BIOS, which is the mm-hmm. traditional way that Windows computers were booted, um, Historically, that required an installation of some special software to allow Linux to be installed alongside of OS X. But that's no longer the case. Today's modern Linux operating systems can be installed on a MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, iMac, Mac Mini, whatever it is, just as easily it can be installed on any other hardware. And we have Windows 8 to thanks for that. And it's it's native. In other words, this is a native uh, Linux operating system. You you don't have to have OS X 
and uh, s- uh, sand uh, and have it running uh, on the separate, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, virtual machine. Virtual machine, exactly. No, it's, right. it can you can run Linux natively on the Mac. Yes, and yeah. there are implementations yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so just just as you can with an old Windows computer that was designed for for uh, Windows XP, if you have an old um, MacBook Air, for example, mm-hmm. or a MacBook Pro, or just mm-hmm. a MacBook that you can't install the latest version of OS 10 on, and you want to run something that is supported, you could install Linux on there, uh, completely remove OS 10, OS 9, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. older ones, yeah. uh, and and run um, Linux on there and get that hardware back in functional uh, order and supported with a modern Operating system. Have they done any kind of benchmarks of taking Linux and put it on and put it on you know one of the new Mac towers? You know, and, and uh, that must really scream. Uh, with yeah, I bet it does. And and I know I've heard some MacBook users report that their computers run better using Linux than they do with the native operating system, the OS X. Uh, I haven't heard any reports on the new towers, but who knows? Uh, I'm sure somebody's done it. And if anybody in our listening audience has done it, let us know. Sure. If you're in the chat room right now, we'll look. look. (laughs) Don't be shy. Okay. Okay, we've got two more suggestions from Google on will Linux. The first one is, will Linux run on my computer? Well, I don't know what your computer is, so (laughs) but most likely, yes. From Acer and Apple through HP and Lenovo to System76 and Zarezen, Linux is designed to run on any computer. And, of course, Linux runs particularly well on the newest, fanciest hardware, but it runs well on almost any vintage machine. And, in fact, older computers designed to run Windows XP, as we've already discussed, can easily be outfitted with the newest, modernist, fully supported Linux distribution, and it will likely run better than it did with the previous operating system that was installed on it okay. at, at the factory. All right. And okay. finally, and last, another short answer here. Will Linux run Windows games? The answer is yes and no. And you can go back and look at, can Linux run Windows games for the answers? <laughs> and that's in the show notes, too. So. Right. That wraps it up. We've got lots of links in the show notes, and uh, we've even got a link to a whole article that I wrote in the Going Linux uh, website that uh, I used as my uh, cheat sheet for the, uh, the discussion we just had. So All right. uh, if you want a, a more in-depth treatment of what we just described, there you go. All right. All right, well, then I think that moves us into the, the next phase of the Computer America show. We're going to go to Computer America email. And, again, you can read these emails along with us. Uh, just go to, uh, again, the uh, show notes page at ComputerAmerica.com, and you can uh, see them, the link right there. Uh, it'll say email. Just click on it, and you can read, the, you can read that. And uh, this is basically uh, uh, feedback, emails, everything. And we're going to start off with Will. Okay. And I don't know, he provides not some Linux, but some OS ten tips. Yeah, so let's let's read what he says. So um he says, Hi, I listened to your Computer America America episode number seventy two mm-hmm. um podcast. There are a few projects that will help make you feel more at home using OS ten. So in that episode, on that appearance on Computer America, I mentioned that 
my new employer has provided me with a oh yes I remember my that computer yes I remember and so I was getting used to the keyboard and all those other things that take place in your mind when you switch operating systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh-huh. uh, so uh, Will took pity on me and provided three links. So first, mm-hmm. uh, some uh, a couple of links that we've included in the show notes, of course, around uh, remapping your keys on a MacBook um, to whatever you want. So it's, it's uh, a hack according to what they talk about in, in these links. Uh, but essentially, it's it's a program that you can install that allows you to remap the keyboard keys to whatever you want them to be. What I found was the the MacBook Air has a Apple keyboard, and the Logitech keyboard that I use with my other computers, and I use Synergy to cross-platform um, uh, control multiple computers from a single keyboard and mouse, it's got the Windows configuration, so even if I reconfigure the keys, something's not right either on the, on the MacBook Air or on the Logitech keyboard, so I'm just learning to use the Mac configuration. Not a big deal. <laughs> By the well, way, it's the muscle memory that gets you. <laughs> uh, Internet Ken in the chat room asked a question. He wanted to know whether, uh, he said, will Linux make me better looking? <laughs> And I said, I said perhaps they have a lot of a variety of skins available for you to try. So actually, <laughs> actually, I like to take a crack at this one. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, thanks to uh, everything from the It Crowd to uh, Silicon Valley, which I think is the TV show, mm-hmm. um, and a couple other TV shows. Apparently, nerdy is in. Mm-hmm. Well, just look at the Big Bang Theory that predated all of those. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And nothing screams nerdy. Like, oh, yeah, I use a couple of different distributions of Linux. Would you like to hear about cold drinks? <laughs> you know, I think it will make it better looking. <laughs> but you have to find you have to find the, you have to find the right girl or a guy, you know, obviously. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, the other package that uh, uh, this uh, gentleman, Will, uh, provided is the uh, homebrew, right? So... It's the missing package repository, the package manager uh, that comes with Linux that doesn't come on OS X. Well, there's a way to get a package manager on OS X as well, of course. And uh, it doesn't link into the Linux repositories, but it does allow you to get to GitHub and download some stack exchange things and that sort of stuff. And if none of that makes any sense to you, don't worry about it. You probably don't need it. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Okay. All right. Well, let's move along to Richard. Uh, yep. Poor Richard has uh, an upgrade, has upgrade issues. He's, yes, he does. Uh-huh. So he says, hi, guys. I recently upgraded from Linux Mint 15 to 17 He's and, have had, uh, and have had a challenge in easily transferring installed packages and applications. Apton CD has failed me, although it's worked in the past. The Linux Mint software backup, which is a backup program provided on Linux Mint out of the box, used to work, but it's broken, been broken for a while now in my version. Mm-hmm. And finally, I tried 
what you recommended to use DPKG, which is a program under Linux, but now after installing Linux Mint 17, I get this error, DPKG error, operation requires read-write access to DPKG status area. Any advice? I'm not finding reliable advice for getting any of these options running. I now have Linux Mint 17 installed, and maybe just do it all manually at this point, which is kind of sucky. So <laughs> thanks, Richard. So I did email back and forth with Richard, and uh, it uh, we came to sort of the conclusion that perhaps when he installed uh, Linux Mint 17, he was installing it from a CD that didn't uh, write correctly onto the CD and was corrupted, or perhaps the package, uh, the um, the ISO image that he downloaded off the Linux Mint site wasn't downloaded correctly. There was an interruption in his network connection or something that caused it not to be downloaded properly. Uh, and of course, there are MD5 sums and things that you can check for the latter. And if the CD didn't burn correctly, you can just burn another copy and try it again. And I'm not sure what his solution was, uh, but the answer to the other implied question on the um, Mint backup utility, uh, it does work in Linux Mint 17, and I've installed it on many devices or many um, computers, Linux Mint 17 with various uh, desktop environments and use that backup it does work just fine. Um, so I'm really thinking that something got corrupted on his install and he should uh, probably reinstall. Uh, uh -huh. Hard to swallow, but hey, you've got a nice backup that you made. Use it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and there are lots of ways to backup things on Linux, not the least of which is that backup utility. And there are plenty of other backup utilities you can install and, and use to backup, or simply just copy your home directory to another hard drive. That's the simplest way. Okay. Um, I think we should move along to the next one. Uh, again, this is from Dell, not the computer company, but D-E-L with Dell with one L. Dell with one L. Has a question about burning 64-bit ISO images using a 32-bit machine and about XFCE versus Cinnamon desktops. Okay. So he writes, Larry, great podcast. I burned an image of Linux Mint 17 XFCE 32-bit. Worked great. When I tried to burn Linux Mint 17 XFCE 64-bit, the burn failed. Can you burn a 64-bit image on a 32-bit machine using Bracero, which is the program you use to burn um, disks uh, in Linux Mint. I was wondering also, uh, what is, I was wondering, is Linux Mint 17 Cinnamon more Windows-like than XFCE, um, uh, than the XFCE ones that I've downloaded? Keep up the great podcast. I really like the Computer America ones, but all are great. Thank you for help with this matter. Okay. So, uh, I have to th thank you, Dell, by the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate that. Okay. Um, okay. All right, so 64-bit images on a 32-bit machine. The image itself is uh, an image of a disk that, when you install it, will only install to a 64-bit machine. Uh, so if you try to install a 64-bit version of an operating system on a 32-bit machine, it won't. Um, uh, unlike installing a 32-bit operating system on a 64-bit machine, it'll it'll work just fine. Uh, but 
since what you're doing on that 32-bit machine, even though it's a 64-bit image, it will burn because bits are bits. It doesn't care that the ISO image is, is a Linux distribution that's designed to run on 64-bit machines. It will burn just fine. Uh, and if the, the, the burning of that 64-bit image failed uh, and the 32-bit version burn just fine, I would change the settings on Bracero and have it burn more slowly. Uh, it's possible that because the 64-bit image is a different size, that perhaps it needs a little bit slower to, uh, to run uh, and to actually burn, or perhaps the CD that you're using to burn, um, the second image wasn't as high quality as the first one. So just slow it down a little bit. It'll probably burn just fine, and uh, you'll be able to install it on your 64-bit computers going forward. Now, regarding which one is more Windows-like, Cinnamon or XFCE, um, Cinnamon is a little bit more Windows-like from the perspective that it has the 3D compositing and uh, animated uh, uh, plugins and so on available for you and, and special effects and so on. Uh, XFCE, you can install those effects but it doesn't come out of the box like that. So out of the box, if you make no changes, Cinnamon is a little bit more Windows-like because of the 3D compositing. Uh, but you can make XFCE do just about everything that Cinnamon does uh, and look just as nice with 3D compositing, but you have to install those packages separately because XFCE is designed as uh, a more lightweight desktop environment. Um, Cinnamon you might think of as a little more like Windows 7 in the way it looks and works. XFCE you might think of it as a little bit more like um, oh, Windows NT or Windows 98 or something like that. With, oh, that's uh, too big, Charles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. But out of the box, if, uh, if you get the XFCE version of Linux Mint, it will have a lot of nice features that make it look a lot better than Windows NT or Windows uh, 98 ever did. Uh, the, the Linux Mint folks have applied some design experience to it uh, and to make it look very, very nice. If you were to just install XFCE on your own, it would come out looking a lot like Windows uh, NT. But the Mint folks, they did a good job making it look very, very nice. Um, and out of the box, you'd be hard-pressed without looking a little closely to tell the difference between Mint 17 with Cinnamon and Mint 17 running XFCE. They look very, very similar when you first install them. All right. All right. All righty. Good. Well, uh, let's uh, move on to uh, Jonathan, who's mm -hmm. a founding member of the Accessible Computing Foundation. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, uh, now, is that is the accessible? Is that um, for physically challenged? Yes. Okay, so anyone yeah. with uh, physical uh, impairments physical. of any sort. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so it's for blind or quadriplegic or deaf, uh, and they provide computers for um, people with any sort of impairment. All right. Good. And yeah. I'm glad that he's listening. Uh, he he's a founding member of the Accessible Computing Foundation. Uh, Jonathan is, and he's asked. Asked us to announce uh, the Sonar GNU slash Linux GNU Linux. Yeah, what is that GNU Linux? Okay, yeah. 
So uh, Jonathan is is uh, a member of the Free Software Foundation as well, and they like to refer to Linux as GNU Linux because mm, yeah. technically that's what it is. Mm. So that's what he calls it. So he writes, hello, Larry and Bill. Bill, of course, being my co-host mm. uh, on the Going Linux podcast. I wanted to announce the release of Sonar 2014.1 on your podcast. Sonar has moved from being based off of Ubuntu to now being based off of Manjaro Linux, and this is the first release using Manjaro as its base. Now, Sonar will always have the latest and greatest in assistive technology for its users. Sonar uses GNOME as its default desktop, but we will be releasing a Mate version in a few weeks. We have been working very closely with the Mate team, and they have done a lot of work to ensure the accessibility of the Mate desktop. We hope to have a Mate release in a few weeks. Here are some of the features of Sonar 2014.1. It runs GNOME 3.12. It runs the Orca screen reader for blind users. It has screen magnification for low vision users, a font for users, um, or a font to use for people with dyslexia. and on-screen keyboards for people with low motor skills, and eye and head tracking software to move the cursor on the screen using a webcam. So you can track your eyes or your head motion, and you can move the cursor that way. This is the best release of Sonar yet. Here is the site. I'm also free to do an interview on your podcast, which we did on the uh, Going Linux podcast as our most recent episode. I interviewed... uh, uh, um, Jonathan on the show, and he announced on that show, and I think it was an exclusive on our podcast, that they're also working on a version for the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Uh, he says, thanks for the great show, www.sonargnulinux.com. And I have to say, that was a very, very interesting interview with Jonathan, as always. Uh, we had him on a few years ago. Uh, on uh, one episode or one one of my appearances on Computer America, and he was talking about um, working with uh, Linux and developing Linux for um, uh, people who need accessibility in their Linux. Uh, and um, I have to say that I've been donating some of my time uh-huh. to help um, uh, the Accessible Computing Foundation and... Um, Jonathan, in particular, with the project, uh, Sonar, uh, and I've taken on the uh, task of improving the website. Uh, As Jonathan says, it looks like a blind guy designed it. You have to understand that Jonathan designed it, and he is blind. So, So, and it did. And if you look in the Wayback Machine, you'll see how it looked before. And if you go there now, you'll see how it looks now. And all I did was change the WordPress theme, add a few graphics. And interestingly, in their download, on their download page, um, I I did something relatively simple. I put things uh, in a table to make it a little easier visually for people who do have the benefit of sight to be able to uh, organize what they're looking at. And um, it turns out that uh, in my uh, redesign, it's got two versions of Sonar, a 32-bit version and a 64-bit version. And uh, I remembered to include in the description 
uh, of the download links, the 32-bit as distinct from the 64-bit version, and that was fine. But I neglected on the MD5 sum that he has uh, posted there to indicate that uh, one was for 32-bit and the other was for 64-bit. Uh, and, you know, for somebody who's cited, it was very obvious because it was in the table. The MD5 sum for the 32-bit was in the column with all the other 32-bit stuff, and the MD5 sum for the 64-bit was in the column for all the 64-bit stuff. But I had uh, Jonathan read it, Green Reader, just to make sure that I didn't miss something, and, in fact, I did. Uh, I hadn't put that in, and he caught it immediately. So, you know, it, it is deceivingly difficult to create a web page that is accessible for a screen reader. So uh, it's nice to have somebody who actually does use a screen reader to proofread hmm. that kind of work. So thanks, Jonathan, for that, and uh, I'm happy to help uh, donating my time to help you out and help out the uh, Sonar GNU Linux project. Excellent. All right. Yeah. Well, um Okay. Um, do we have time to do another one? I think we're coming up to our break. Uh, uh, We've got a really short one. Okay. Maybe? Matt, okay. Matt asked uh, about Larry's favorite cross-platform uh, utility. Yeah. Uh, he wrote, I seem to remember you talking about synergy to share a mouse and keyboard between systems. Is that right? How do you, How do or did you like it? I really appreciate the way you take the time to answer questions in this community. I am glad to be part of it. Cheers. Mm. Well, Matt, yes, I really love Synergy. I've been using it for almost 10 years. Uh, Cross-platform, I started when I was using Windows before I knew better, and uh, I now use it um, as something that allows me to use a single keyboard and mouse to control my Linux computers and uh, my uh, OS X computer for work. And I sit at my desk with a single keyboard and mouse and control them both and have done that for years, and they just keep making that utility better and better and better. And it's free for uh, all versions of operating systems out there. So if you need something like that, I highly recommend it. All right. Okay, uh, we're going to uh, come back uh, with uh, more of these uh, emails that uh, Larry collects for us. The next one's going to be from Bill, who's having trouble with his bootloader. Uh, in the meantime, you're listening to the Computer America Show uh, on the uh, Blog Talk Radio Network, on the Boost Radio Network, on the IRN Radio Network. Uh, we've got a great chat room going along uh, there. Please join us in our, our live IRC chat room. Um, and uh, we'll continue on. Uh, we have another news tip bulletin review from Marty Winston uh, coming up here on the show. We always have two new ones <laughs> every single week. And uh, if you missed it uh, on the first show, you'll, you can hear it now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to the Computer America Show. Stay with us. The All Linux Show. <laughs> Hello, friends of exercise. This is Marty Winston for Computer America with a news tips bullet review of the Withings Pulse O2. We talked earlier about the Withings blood pressure monitor and the app on either iOS or Android 4 or later devices. The same app also collects information from their Pulse O2 product. 
When we got it, it looked like a lot of pieces just to measure pulse rate and blood oxygen level, but that quickly sorted out. The main piece, the active module, comes with a strap for wearing on your wrist, a clip for wearing on your clothes, and a charging cable, so the collection is more about adding dexterity than adding complexity. The misleading first impression continued with the name, but the happy result is that there's even more here than the name implies, starting with a pedometer. The module's face displays a lot of interesting data that the app can record, but we're still leaving out a level of usefulness. If your smartphone is with you as you work out, it also tracks running, elevation, distance, and calories. Bottom line, if you're somebody who, when you burn, yearn for more data, the Withings Pulse O2 Activity Tracker is no slacker. This is Marty Winston with a News Tips Bulletin Review for Computer America. Welcome back to the Computer America Show. It is our all-link show uh, tonight. I keep wanting to say Tuesday. It's not Tuesday. It's it, Thursday. Th- th- <laughs> um, the third Thursday. Yeah, so, uh, the third mm-hmm. Thursday of the month, and you know it's interesting because we had that gentleman who wanted to talk about Linux callers on literally almost every single show, and and we kept saying we're having. And he, now he doesn't show up. And now he doesn't show up. Yeah. So, oh, I'm sure he'll call about two minutes before the show ends. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you know, so so we're doing uh, Linux topics, and I've got to say, you know, Synergy, uh, everyone loves it. Uh, seems seems to really like this uh, the application. Yeah, and I I noticed just now that the link to their website, um, they they changed their link. Uh, it used to be synergy foss f o s s dot org. And now it's synergy-project.org, so I'm going to have to go update the links uh, on the Going Linux website uh, accordingly. And uh, so if you're looking for it, it's synergy-project.org. You mean, you'll see right there on their main page that uh, they've got a keyboard and a mouse sitting there. It looks like a, an Apple keyboard and a mouse controlling a Linux computer on the left, a Windows computer in the middle, and a Mac computer. On the right hand side. You mean we weren't the only logo we weren't the only logo you had to change tonight? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Okay. Uh change the logo on our website. <laughs> okay. The Computer America logo. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh shall we go on to Bill's Bill. email? And he's having trouble with his bootloader. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Mm, poor guy. Yeah. Uh, he says, Hi, Larry. Hi, Bill. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> I've been listening to the podcast for a few years, and it is the second time I write you an email. A friend has just bought a new machine and has given me her old Lenovo Think Center A55 8706-A18. Wow. It has an Intel, it's a very attractive name, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's an Intel Celeron D CPU, 3.2 gigahertz. Uh, It has an Intel 946GZ graphics card. It's x86 MMX SSE2 integrated graphics controller, easy for me to say. Mm -hmm. I have... Tried installing Linux Mint 17 on it using a USB drive, but the screen shows a Control-Alt-Delete at the upper right corner on a blank screen immediately after boot. A Google search suggests 
that it may have to do with something called frame buffer. I tried to follow the suggestions by adding no API to the Grub menu at startup. However, I somehow cannot get into the Grub menu at boot. I have tried holding down the right shift key, pressing F6, pressing F4 during the boot sequence to no avail. The same Control-Alt-Delete comes up every time. In my desperation, I tried installing OpenSUSE 12.1, and the installation was a success. Now I'm scratching my head. After a few days, not sure I like OpenSUSE and would like to go back to Linux Mint. Would appreciate any advice that you can offer. Well, Bill, um, that no API may indeed be the solution uh, to getting things installed. Um, and we've included a link in the show notes to uh, how to um, get to your Grub startup menu and how to uh, go in there and edit it. So if you're not having much luck uh, getting to that screen where you can get to the boot menu, um, it may be that the version of Linux Mint that you were trying to install um, didn't have, well, you did say it was Mint 17. I was going to say that it, it uh, used Grub instead of using an EFI bootloader and maybe the machine you have uses EFI or UEFI, but I don't think so. It's sufficiently old. It probably just uses the standard uh, bootloader for Windows. So Grub should work. And if you can't get into Grub, um, those uh, those instructions in the uh, in the show notes should should help you out. It's not something that I can get into on a show like this because mm-hmm. it's something where you have to see what's going on in the machine. Mm-hmm. But maybe the, uh, the the information we provided would. Um, and would, it would help you out. And it's possible that OpenSUSE had a different out-of-the-box configuration that allowed it to install successfully. Uh, it may use that API or no API setting by default, and that may be why it uh, installed without any trouble at all. So um, if, if you still have OpenSUSE installed, you might want to take a look at the Grub menu and see if that's already uh, in there in the Grub entry for uh, booting OpenSUSE and see what's there. And then when you uh, get to the Grub menu in, uh, uh, in Mint 17, you might want to try that. So uh, give that a try. All right. Okay. Um, let's go to Andrew, mm-hmm. who asked the question, are you still doing the the, the Gone Linux stories? Yes. So on our on our podcast, uh, we have a segment called Gone Linux, where our listeners write in or send us in a voicemail or record something on, uh, you know, send it in as an audio file or whatever, and tell us success stories of of how they or somebody they know has gone Linux. So this is Andrew. Uh, according to his email, he says, "This is Andrew, and I have have a Gone Linux story for you. My fiance." texted me at work about three weeks ago and told me that the Windows, that Windows had ticked her off for the last time and wanted me to put Linux Mm -hmm. on her laptop. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Not something that would be a normal reaction, but uh, (laughs) so obviously Andrew's been talking to her about Linux. 
So he continues. So I put on, I put in a 40 gigabyte hard drive and put Mangia, uh, Magia Linux on it and turned her loose on it for two weeks. And she liked it. So I put the other hard drive back in and dual booted it with Windows 7 for her Photoshop, which of course, you know, if she's using the latest version, it doesn't run under Windows or uh, run under Linux or under Wine. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why people dual boot. Mm-hmm. And Linux for gaming and everything else. Now she's happy. She's using Linux now most of the time. It took me over a year to get her to try Linux, and now she likes using Linux. <laughs> so there's a good gone Linux story for you. And um, yeah, you might want to suggest, uh, you know, that she try out the GIMP, which is an alternative photo editing software that runs natively in Linux, also happens to run natively in Windows. Never give it a try. Maybe she'll like it. Although if she's been using Photoshop for a long time, the keyboard shortcuts and so on she's learned through Photoshop typically don't work in the GIMP. Mm-hmm. And uh, many um, users of Photoshop who've used it for a long time or use it professionally are uh, very adept at using keyboard shortcuts instead of mouse clicks and drags. And it, it takes a little getting used to do to do anything new. So she may prefer to dual boot Windows just to use Photoshop. At least she's using Linux most of the time. So that's great. Yeah, I mean I mean GIMP is very, very close to, to Photoshop. I mean it's 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 as I would think it's is it as powerful as Photoshop? I mean it has all the no no, it doesn't have all of the features the of filters, Photoshop, yeah, exactly. and it does do things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the average person that uses Photoshop to crop pictures and maybe do red-eye reduction or that sort of thing, uh, GIMP will do all of that just fine. Most other, even less powerful uh, photo editing programs will do that just fine. There are plenty of professional and semi-professional um, graphics artists that use the GIMP mm-hmm. for uh, creating their graphics, just as there are Photoshop users doing the same thing. So it, it is as powerful. Does it have all the features? No. Does it have additional features in some areas? Yes. Okay. Uh, so it really depends on does it do what you want it to do, whether or not it's going to work for you. Okay. Give it a try. Okay. You can try it on Windows if you don't have a Linux machine yeah. laying around. Okay. <laughs> to try it on. All right. Well, I can't believe this, but we've actually made it to our last email. Uh, we haven't done that in a yeah. long time, you know? Uh, we have not. No. And this last one is from Amy, mm-hmm. who answers a question that we asked her, evidently. Okay? Yes. Yeah. So, Amy, um, uh, Amy is a lawyer. She also happens to be um, a woman of the cloth, shall we say. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, she she had dual professions. So uh, she's a uh, a lawyer in the uh, uh, religious profession. Okay. Uh, so to, and and she uses Linux as her uh, operating system okay. to do both her law work and her uh, religious work. So Amy writes saying on the show you asked about how I handle different file formats file formats in a Linux only office. Mm -hmm. I generally work in .odt, which is the open file format of OpenOffice and Mm LibreOffice. But when sharing files, I use one of two strategies. 
when I'm doing a lot of document collaboration, I will use Google Docs. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, for most of my work, I send files in PDF format. If there is a need to edit, I will send the files in two formats, PDF and .doc. I never send them in .docx, Why? which is recent uh, Windows yeah. uh, uh, Office, uh, Microsoft Office format. Um, I suspect uh, there's more to her uh, email than this, but just to answer your question, Craig, uh, I suspect that the reason she does that is the .docx format is ever-changing uh, with updates to Microsoft Office. They do tweaks to the file format, and uh, some of the things that they've done to make it different from the standard .doc format mm. is they've made it XML compatible, uh, but in doing that, they've created their own proprietary version of how they format things in XML. And so mm. it's not standard. And so it's not interoperable with other Office suites so. as as much as it is in the .doc. Right. Now .doc doesn't use XML format, so it's not as uh, modern a format. But it's been around a lot longer, and Microsoft's not fiddling with it. So the the, the creators of OpenOffice and LibreOffice have had time to reverse engineer it and make their Office Suite compatible with that format, much much more than it is with the DocX okay. format. Right. And so that's probably why she she uses that uh, slightly older format, but uh, a format that's more guaranteed to be compatible with OpenOffice, LibreOffice, Microsoft Office, regardless of which version you're talking about. I understand. All right. So she says also, when formatting, I use paragraph styles rather than a lot of manual formatting. It seems that con that converts more cleanly. Uh, and to explain paragraph styles, mm -hmm. uh, rather than use the button for bold, um, there is a paragraph style that, if, if you've done anything for, uh, for a web page, you can use a dot B tag or a, uh, an angle bracket B tag for uh, bold in, in HTML on a web page. Mm. You can also use uh, in angle brackets the word strong instead. So strong is a, is a, a more generic way of formatting in HTML on a web page so that regardless of what browser you're using, it understands strong a lot more than it understands B as bold. Uh, same thing in a word processor program. If you use the, the little B icon, uh, it will put the equivalent of a, you know, angle brackets B to mm -hmm. indicate bold. Um, rather than uh, using a paragraph style, but what it'll do is it's not as interoperable between the various with processor programs. When you use a paragraph style, it allows OpenOffice, Microsoft Office, LibreOffice, um, I don't know, any of the other Office programs. Mm -hmm. It will know that that paragraph style is designed to make the, uh, the word or the words that you've made bold uh, appear as bold. But what will happen is, if you change the formatting of the page, for example, and, and you can use 
kind of a theme in a word processor document to change all of uh, the, the text style from one format to another mm -hmm. uh, throughout the document. If you use paragraph styles, it will work regardless of what um, operating system you're in, what office suite you're in, or what theme you're using, because a paragraph style is standard, whereas a lot of the manual formatting, as Amy calls it, is not. And uh, so it uh, that's, I think, what helps it to convert more cleanly. It's a more standardized way of formatting your document, regardless of whether it's uh, file extension is .doc or .odt or something else. So it's just a little cleaner. So she continues, for me, the change in file format isn't much of an issue. Most legal documents are pretty flat text anyway, not a lot of formatting. Uh, and as a side note, there are a lot of lawyers still using WordPerfect. Oh, <laughs> Okay, and I'm not sure it's word perfect for DOS as well. Yeah, oh my <laughs> so yeah, I've I've uh, seen that on, uh, you know, when I've when I've gone to my lawyer for uh, a, a will update or something, my lawyer still uses Word Perfect. You make fun of him. You should make, you should make, make it fun of him. I'm just saying. Okay, okay, you, you should make fun of him. I'm saying. You know, That's on. right. You will. He's the last person. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I'm paying him enough. He can afford to buy whatever he wants to buy. If he wants to use WordPerfect, he can go ahead. That's like pulling out a typewriter or something. To do your no, work. it's like using uh, – oh, what is that website altering software you used until like two years ago? Front page. Oh, front page. Oh. That's like using front page in 2011. Wow, that was terrible. That's only compatible with uh, uh, Internet Explorer 6, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, Which WordPerfect... Is pretty much unable to display any web page that's not written using. <laughs> WordPerfect and WordStar. Yeah, my gosh, you know, I mean... WordStar, yes. Last from the that's past. Yeah, exactly. And he, yeah, and he, and I, he... I learned uh, word processing on a Wang word processor. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you have an IBM Selectric typewriter? At least I had a little ball, you know. So I don't know. Uh, you know what? We we had one until about two years ago, sitting in my garage. It hadn't been used in what ten years. Yeah. But uh, my wife learned to type on it, and she loved the thing, so uh, she wanted to keep it around. They're still servicing them, believe it or not. Yeah, man. I mean, they're they're good typewriters. I mean, they're they're really solid. They 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 and then for, they were really. I mean, they did things you never saw on a time. I mean, they had. An erase function, you know, it would actually automatically white out letters, you know, and you could, you could go back and, and, and retype. Or, and, it had, and, of course, it would never jam because, you know, it didn't have little legs coming up. It was a ball, you know. Right. And, uh, right. and it had some onboard intelligence, so it would sense which key you were hitting first if you hit two keys simultaneously. Oh, it was a, what are you guys talking about? Uh, well, the thing is, editing a document was a little painful because you couldn't really go no. back in the mid-paragraph and no, not really. another no. word or two. Later, no, versions, didn't work that way. later versions of Selectric, though, when you, you could actually type a letter and into memory, and then you could put a press sheet and then hit it, and it would actually retype the letter again. Uh, and you could, it would actually pause it if you wanted. It was a deer, and it would stop. So you could put it, and then you would type in the, you know, Joe or Sam and the name, hit comma, and then it would continue on typing the letter. <laughs> I mean, this is what they, this is what they, they had back then before we had computers. 
so yeah, and, and it, it was shortly then. It was shortly after they stopped using that that hammer and chisel and the stone chavel, <laughs> the electric typewriter. So yeah. Uh, and it was it was really rough though. You had to actually to send the document to somebody. You had to fax it, uh, or you had to to put it in an envelope, lick, Not lick box, the fax, <laughs> and put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox. Yeah, I just we just did that. You may not be familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. Yeah, facts. That's weird. Facts. That's, 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 yeah. that's a weird word. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. Search for facsimile. Uh, I doubt that. Yes, it was. That's what a fax is. It, 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 it was. Yeah. Is it? In, fact, yeah. in the early days of fax, they didn't even. Uh, back in my day, <laughs> the, uh, the legal profession didn't even trust that the the uh, the receiving fax machine was getting a, an exact uh, image of what was. Sent, mm-hmm. so they didn't consider sending the message electronically uh, a, a viable legal document. So you couldn't sign the copy of your will that someone faxed you. Mm-hmm. You would only be able to proofread it, and then the copy you received in the mail a week later, you would sign, and then you would send it back to the lawyer a week mm-hmm. later for him or her to sign, and then they'd send back the final copy back. So three weeks later, you had your will. Mm-hmm. And probably died by that time. <laughs> <laughs> and so did the Pony Express. Because they had to go to the Midwest through the snow and the buffalo. That's crazy. Yeah. And this explains why the U.S. mail system isn't quite as healthy as it was back in those days. <laughs> there yeah. more business back yeah. then. And now we have electronic signatures and, you know, and, and things that you know, we can actually yeah. get business done, you know. Uh, uh, Internet Ken in the chat room says he used to repair daisy wheel printers. I remember the daisy wheel printers. You know, there, there, there was like a little little starburst, you know, and the letters were on a little circle, and the letters were on the edge of the circle, and it would spin around, and it would make the most god awful noise, especially the you cute. You daisy wheel, the oh. daisy wheel printer by sound. Blah. Oh, it was loud. You could hear it down the block. I mean, they were really loud printers, you know, the cube, yeah, the cube. Worse uh, than dot matrix printers. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot worse. I'm just going, what is this? Everyone has these horror stories, and, and, and don't get me wrong about. One in every six Computer America shows devolves into back in my day when I first started using computers. But how did technology take off if I hear all these horror stories? Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, uh, what What is it? It's not Moore's Law. It's not uh, Bronson's Law. What, what is the the law that technology uh, continues to uh, accelerate uh, and double every year? Is that Moore's Law, isn't it? Yeah, it's Moore's Law. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back in my day, it was it was more seniors' law. <laughs> it was more fathers. Yeah, exactly. Look at all the people piling into the chat room now, and it's in the last five minutes of the show. Uh, wow. What is going on? <laughs> they must have their time zones wrong or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, 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 well. You know what? They're so here for the next chat. episode. There are so many people in the chat room, and there are so many people asking uh, about this show that we're just going to replay it again right after this. We're going to have an encore. <laughs> we're going to hit the tape, and we're going to start over again. And see, he used yeah. the word tape. Now, when was the last time you saw a tape? Gosh. <laughs> yes. We're taping the show. Yeah, we're taping it. Yeah, exactly. We're taping Without it. Without touching tape. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, you got caught, Ben. Yes. <laughs> All the anachronisms he's got. Well, back in my day, which was about 20 years after your guys' day, apparently. They actually used tape. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> uh, and 
with videotape, you had to actually slice it with a razor and then make oh. sure that it was lined up. Or audio tape, yeah. handle to get it lined up properly. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember editing in the uh, radio. They used to have the big reel-to-reel tape uh, you know, mm-hmm. players, and, and then it would have a razor blade, and you'd cut it. And, and, then I, uh, and then, of course, the guy that used to do it, you know, he then we got into digital editing and everything, and I looked at them and said, do you miss the tape? And he just looked at me and said, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So he was still doing the editing, even though his yeah. skills were in right. the mag- Tape and, well, uh, yeah, but he he yeah, went to school. Yeah. He went to class and to learn how to use these uh, digital editors, you know, and, and you know, all these newfangled things. Uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. No, he wasn't that old, you know. Oh, okay, he wasn't that old, you know. He started out okay. when he was younger, but uh, there it is. Unlike the, unlike the buggy whip manufacturer. Oh, uh, buggy whip, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, this was a good show, uh, and again, you can you can see everything. Uh, we have the links up at our show notes uh, page at computeramerica.com. And uh, uh, Larry, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a fun ride yeah. uh, tonight. And again, uh, go to the Going Linux uh, website at goinglinux.com. And of course, we have a link to the Going Linux website on our show notes page, as well as our friends page at the Computer America website. Uh, check it out. Uh, so, uh, Larry, stay with us to the end of the show because we have a little yeah. after the show um, um, uh, that we do. Party. We have a party. A little party. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, coming up tomorrow night, we're going to have Ralph Bond. Uh, Ralph Bond normally is on the second Friday of every month, but this he was on sabbatical. He went to Scotland so uh, and uh, for a couple of weeks. So he's fresh back from Scotland. I'm sure he'll have some interesting Scottish stories to tell us. And uh, <laughs> Are we allowed to say that was on the air? Yes, I'm sure he can. You know, I'm sure they have uh, uh, arable versions of that. And uh, yeah, he and his wife went on a sabbatical to Scotland for two weeks. And uh, of course, he's still with Autodesk. And I think they got a promotion. And he has a new website, too. So if you go to our friends page at computeramerica.com, you can see the new Ralph Bond uh, website. Uh, we have it up there. Uh, and the only thing that he has featured on it right now is us. So what, what website is it? I only have is ralphbond.com. No, it's, if you go to the uh, friends page, you'll go there and you'll see the, uh, his new website. And the method, I put, I put it here. I'll, I'll send you the link because uh, um, I'll put that in the name so you can see it for yourself. There's his new website. Good for and, Yeah, absolutely. But it only talks about Computer America. At least it's, he's got it up. And he actually has rebroadcasted the show up on there as well. So, uh, And, and uh, some of the things we're going to be talking about with him is uh, um, we've got a new uh, ultimate zombie killing car. One of the things. Also, he's got uh, a... Uh, a uh, you can navigate bike lanes with his new vibrating handlebars for bikes. Got. And also, can an app make you a better person? Some of the stories we're going to be talking about on tomorrow night's show. And the best tablets for back to school, 2014. So we're going to be talking about those. We've got lots of fun well, stuff. Solve the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's about wraps it up. Thanks again, Larry, for being here. It was a lot of fun, and we'll see you uh, next month on another All Linux show. So until tomorrow night, this is Craig Crossman hoping that your hard disk never becomes floppy. What was that Linux caller? We'll see you tomorrow night. Good night, everyone.
Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.